Hey, Courtney. What's up? You tend to deal with more of the production side of this podcast. Uh-huh. What kind of tools do you use? Well, I actually use a few things, but my favorite one I use is a really cool program called Anchor. Really? Yeah, it's by far the easiest way to create a podcast. They provide creation tools that allow you to record. You can also edit your podcast right from your computer or cell phone. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So how do you push your podcast to different platforms? Dude, Anchor does it all for you. They distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. That's cool. Yeah. On top of us wrangling our kids, working full time, doing research, that does seem to cut down a lot of the time, huh? Oh, yeah. How come we didn't know about this sooner? Honestly, I really don't know. But one of the best parts about this is you don't have to have a minimum number of listeners or plays to monetize off your podcast. That's awesome. That helps us become one step closer to helping donate back to the victims and their families. Yeah, that's important. But how much does it cost to use Anchor? Well, are you ready for this? Yeah, bring it on. It's free dude dude that's awesome go download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started content warning this episode includes foul language and discussion of violence trigger warning this episode includes discussions pertaining to suicidal ideation perceived pedophilia murder and extremely disturbing situations regarding torture listener discretion is advised Okay, so my story I needed to tell you was from yesterday. So let me set the scene for you. I'm in this room. So I'm in my podcasting room slash my husband's office. We share. And I always have the blinds closed because lighting and everything in here. But I can hear thunder out here. And so... We finally, we get done with the podcast, but I'm still hearing a lot of thunder and a lot of wind. And, but you know, usually after... Um, you and I kind of do the same thing. We talk a lot, you know, after we're done with the podcast and stuff yes. like that, you know, you just get to talking about off subject things. Right. So we were probably a good 15 minutes into our off subject things after the podcast. And I, it keeps getting louder and louder outside my window. And so I finally like stand up and kind of like open the blinds up a little bit. And it is like sideways rain and wind. Oh my God. Like it looked, honestly, I can try to send you the video later. It looked like we had a little mini tornado come through our street like our mailbox is gone what yeah <laughs> and here i am we didn't i didn't make internet power nothing flickered and it's i'm just chilling. sitting here podcasting <laughs> you had no idea what was going on it's really funny because like i'm what is it an hour away from you and we had the exact same thing happening over here gosh it Ugh. was insane we've had a lot of like crazy storms in this house like we've had a tornado come through like two streets over like when the you know the big tornado that came through dallas a couple years ago yeah. That, that was like right by my house. I was expecting you to say that a tornado came straight through your house yesterday. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wouldn't be here doing this with you today. Sorry. You, you would be. You would be. You Just can, sitting outside. Uh, you can be oh, my gosh. And you can battle a tornado. Yeah. Amanda, the tornado battling baddie. So now we're having to figure out what do you do when a mailbox blows away? <laughs> you'll just have to, you'll have to rely on email. <laughs> Or Facebook or Instagram. Or, uh, I saw my mailman coming down the street, so I just stood at the street. <laughs> really go out there and be like, hi. Hi. No, I don't have a mailbox. I have this bag. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know what? I'll tell you what, I'm going to I'm going to hang this bag up on a post and you can put my mail in there. Like I'm just imagining one of those like bags where it says thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you i'm sure that would make i'm sure that would make the mailman feel pretty damn appreciated thankfully my mailman like we know each other i'm i'm one of those kind of people like you know during like christmas time i'm making them like homemade goodies
bunnies yeah and stuff like that and so i mean my mailman knows me and so i'm like hey look my ma- my mailbox is leaning up against my house if you want to like throw the mail in there i don't <laughs> I'm, know i'm laughing <laughs> sorry i'm laughing because it's actually kind of funny i'm not trying to cover that it up. is okay i actually wanted a new, new mailbox this just like gave us an excuse i guess oh good good so, you know we're gonna do like a nice like cedar one with a we're actually gonna this mailbox that we have like the metal mailbox part is in great condition yeah like i just like completely like, stripped it and cleaned it and everything like a few weeks ago so it's like in great condition so we're gonna take that one off and just get a new cedar like a uh, post you know what's really funny i don't know why this reminded me of the case i'm about to do Ooh. but you said you said you were going to get a new mailbox and for whatever reason the first thing that came into my head was that you were going to get a birdhouse mailbox and i'm like internally <laughs> screaming like no no oh don't do gosh. it don't do it no. don't do it and don't send a note <laughs> that says i love you mom because <laughs> don't fucking do it don't <laughs> Like, I'm even wary, like, Ben wants to, like, get our, uh, like, our last name, like, what's that, like, with the crickets, you know? Yeah. And, like, put our last name, like, pretty on the mailbox. I have an idea. What's your idea? I want to know. I want to know. Okay, picture this. So your last name is Cronin, right? Yep. So instead of putting your last name on there, just put a picture of a crow and then the (laughs) N-I-N. It's like a, a crow it, and nine inch nails. And then if people don't get it, then they just don't get it. But like, if they do, they're like, oh, <laughs> crow. If they don't get it. I'm not friends with them. They don't need to know where I live. So. But that would be funny. You should do it. <laughs> you should do it. Do a, a crow and then nail. I like nine, nine inch nails. I love nine inch nails. Not as much. He doesn't mind them, but they're he'll, not one of his top favorites. He'll, you know what? As soon as he realizes that he's got nine inch nails in his last name, he'll learn to love. He'll learn to love Trent. <laughs> So, all right, well, that's our, that's our intro. So I'm going to stop this right here. Uh, we'll even keep that last part where I'm like, uh. Hey, Courtney. Hey, so Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Obviously, I'm I'm pretty awful. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what you guys didn't realize is right before you know we started recording, we were talking about there's this little red light on her on her microphone, and um, she was she had a glare from that little red light on her microphone, and she was trying to like dodge that, and she just totally walked out of the room right now. But I'll just keep talking. <laughs> I'll keep talking. She's trying to dodge that little red light, and we were talking about how there might be a sniper house. Oh my gosh! But it's, it's not so a sniper. Bad. It was a. It was a tiny, cute little microphone. It's my microphone light, and it just goes right in the middle of my forehead sometimes. Yeah, she's she's not going to be attacked by a sniper though. Oh Amanda, it's like not a thing, really. In real life, that is like not a thing. Not in it, my business. Did I say <laughs> attacked by a sniper? Attacked by a sniper. I like your verbiage. I Roll know. with it. Roll with the punches. Attacked by snipers. <laughs> Fucking man. <laughs> okay, I am living on like nine cups of coffee and um, I had, I oh, I actually ate most time. What? Yeah, I did. I had hummus and... Ooh, so 
I get fresh produce every week mm-hmm. from this like little little business in Richardson. Richardson. It's called Stubblefield Produce. Uh, Stubblefield. And yes, I will totally give them a shout out because they're a very very small business in Richardson, but they will deliver the produce to your door every huh. Saturday, and they grow it all themselves. Oh wow! And everything. So I mean. It's really cool, and I like to support them, but they make these crackers that have, like, I'll show you one. I know you guys can't see, but they, like, have, like, the pepper, like, the red pepper and, like, the ranch seasoning. You know you can make those. Oh, yeah, I know I can. Yeah. But, like, when they deliver them to my door, they're still hot. Huh. Oh, they're still hot from the oven. Yes. Like, they they deliver them, like, so fresh, and and they give, like, a huge bag. Oh, it's pretty. It's got, like, rainbow on it, too. Yeah. It's a pretty little bag, but it's like only like $4 for like a big bag of them. And hey, yeah, they're so bad for me. Well, (laughs) they're so bad for me. They're Um, so addictive, though. You know what? That's okay because I eat Ben and Jerry time. I ate a Snickers ice cream tonight. So, (laughs) moving on. Oh, that sounds good. Man is trying to make me mad over here. A man, duh, is trying to make me mad, duh. Okay, seriously, I need to get out of that fucking mind frame because. Uh, it's been a week and you know what? I'm actually going to get serious for a second because um, I have noticed a lot of shit going on with a lot of people. And Amanda, I'm going to kind of include you into this too because like I don't really know if you're going through anything personal, but but you just know that this this is talking to you. This is talking to everybody. But um, basically, so I'm going to start it out like, you know, this past week has been hell for me personally. And actually the past 365 days have been awful. Um, I'm not going to go into do that too much detail, but um, like me, a ton of people are going through a major storm and I just feel the need to address it. Maybe if I reach out, you know, God or the universe or whatever will hear me and maybe all of it will end. Um, there's been instances of unfair behavior and injustice occurring and they all generally do differ in severity, but hear me out. It's like people are getting fired from jobs over posting Black Lives Matter. Um <laughs> on their social media or people are serving time in prison for doing the right thing like Jason Vukovic or mm-hmm. children are getting murdered and raped. Favoritism occurs in the workplace. Again, it differs. It all differs in severity, right? Yep. Um, babies are being born at like 22 weeks and they survive, but there's, but that's still like hard on the parents. There's, Black people getting murdered because the color of their skin is considered quote unquote suspicious. Um, there's differences in opinions about vaccines or political figures, ru- which is ruining families and friendships. Uh, well-meaning and hardworking people being judged for their size, color, or their of color of their skin. I'm sorry, their sexual orientation and or even or their spiritual beliefs. Um, the continuous growing pandemic, grown ass adults bullying people online because they have nothing better to do. Mental yep. illness is being overlooked and even laughed about and as somebody with mental illness i don't fucking appreciate that okay i am somebody that lives with adhd like the legitimate adhd it's not like oh i forgot something i have add that's why (laughs) no i have adhd i have severe anxiety and i have severe depression and it's very prevalent and people are turning it into some kind of trend but it's like i know they're straight up laughing about it and mocking it you know Anyways, I'm digressing, but there's people who straight up steal from other people's material or plagiarize and then make a killing and run with it. You know who Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Yep. People's marriages are failing. 
Um, hard hardworking mothers are getting passed up for promotions, only for promotions to be handed out like candy to lazy people. People are getting booted from the Olympics for smoking a little pot. This mass influx of reckless drivers and hit and run accidents. Um, like I said, all of them differ in severity to you, but one person's struggle is another's playground. One person's hardship is another person's not that big of a deal. Um, real quick, I'm going to mention my friend Ashley. She works with me. She uh, recently got into a major car accident on I-35. Oh, what do you know? Yeah, well, she was smashed into a Jersey barrier. Mm. Um, she is, it's an absolute fucking miracle she's alive, okay? But she was smashed into a, jer- jer- a Jersey barrier, and the guy that hit her just kind of ran. So it was a hit and run. He sped off like nothing. Oh my gosh. Um, in my show notes, I'm actually going to post her GoFundMe because you know what? She deserves to get all the help that she can. Because that girl, while she should be at home resting, you know, she suffered so many, like a concussion and she had to get stitches in her orbital or whatever in her eye, you know, she's still going into work. (laughs) She's still going into work. She should be at home resting. You know, she's a real sweet person. She's so, she's full of positivity. She's always kind. She's always trying to like bring people up when they're down. Like I've never seen her do one bad thing to one person. She's always trying to do right. And like the whole... You know, I, I mean, I briefly joked about I-35 in the last episode, but like the truth of the matter is, is people, you know, get these licenses and they they just need to learn to drive. You know, they need to hold themselves accountable if they're going to be doing stuff like that. And it's not even just about like the driving. I mean, we're all going through shit, you know. Yep. Um, but overall, my whole message with all of this is that, you know, with all of these storms that we're all going through, we all need to just be a hell of a lot kinder to each other. Um, we all absolutely need each other way more than we realize. Um, if you must belittle or be unkind and bully people, then direct it at someone deserving, like a serial killer, a serial rapist, or even a pedophile. And I think that's absolutely fair. You know, Maybe some of you don't see eye to eye with me here and you know, that's fine, but that's my message. Be kind. In fact, be even kinder. Being an absolute dick is not fun. It's not, it's isolating and it's depressing, but do stand up for the voiceless. And if that means being cruel to an actual shit bag, then cool. But to those of you listening and thinking, you know, nobody sees me, nobody gives a fuck, nobody appreciates what I do and how much I put it in, you know, and how hard this is me. I want you to know. And I don't know if I could, I'm sure I can speak for Amanda here, but I want you to know that I see you. Uh, we see you. We care. We know how hard it is. Maybe we don't understand completely or can't understand completely as mm-hmm. every battle is different, but we do give a fuck. This is your sp- your big spiritual hug from us to you. Please just pass it on. And if you are a shit bag in the making, please recognize it in any way humanly possible. Take accountability. Go seek help. If you're not willing to do that, then absolutely none of this applies to you. And maybe you don't See, this is relevant at all in any true crime case. But honestly, it is because you seriously don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on in people's heads. So if you're not going to take the easy, if you're going to take the easy way out, uh, choose the easy way out to be kindness. Just be kind. It's not going to immediately resolve all of our problems, but it very well may be the power in numbers. And there you have it. My Aquarius humanitarian nature has reared its ugly head. You go, so, girl. Yeah. I just had to say that because, you know, just too much these days. Um, but, but speaking of shit bags, um, so Rodney Alfalfa, I'm sorry, Alcala, Alcala, do you know who that is? The dating game killer? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Rodney Alfalfa finally <laughs> fucking dropped dead and died. So oh. he, he died. He died. He did. Bye. Bye. Um, and, um, I'm actually going to let you tell us a little bit about this one. Um, but 
I have in my notes some dude running around Vegas and ringing doorbells talking to himself and saying he was going to rape and kill someone. Pretty rude. Oh my gosh, that went viral on TikTok. Yeah. He got caught. Yes, he did got he did got caught. Oh my he got, gosh. He, he got got. What is that? He got got. <laughs> He got, he got got. <laughs> wow, Amanda. No, he did get caught. He is last time I heard behind bars. But yes, this I'm I, 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 I'm thinking he is mentally unwell. Right. I don't think he was. I mean, he might have been on something. I don't know. But the still fucking skin. his eyes. He didn't really look like he was like out of his mind. He looked like mentally something going on. He was so calm. Yeah. So calm. And that was so that is what was so scary is he's knocking on this door and he's just repeating himself and over and over and over again. I can't even remember what he was saying. Dude, the, the hairs when I saw that video, the hairs on the back of my neck literally raised up. Like yes. I, I'm not even kidding. I was like, what would I do in that situation if some dude came to my door and was talking to himself like that? And I'm like, who are you? And he's just sitting there like, oh, is um is Courtney here? I'm here to rape and kill her. Yeah. Just as casual as possible. And he's, he's not leaving. Ugh. But did you read in more into that? The wife was home alone. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And the husband was talking to him through the ring, trying to get him to go away. Could you imagine that husband Ugh. knowing his wife is just behind that door and this guy is trying to get into his house? Oh, my gosh. I just. <sighs> exactly. I get so many chills and goops bumps and I just. And it happened over in Vegas, right? It did. It was in Vegas. But that could have been that could have been everywhere, anywhere. Yeah, but it wasn't like a hotel or anything. It was like a residential neighborhood in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's. I mean, but that kind of stuff happens all the time. See, scary world we're living in, people. It is really scary, and I think people underestimate like the value of you know the true crime community because some people will say that people are only doing this to monetize. Um, and honestly, like if you are in the true crime community and you are trying to monetize, you know that's that's fine. Go make your coin, you know whatever. I would encourage you to try to donate at least some of it to the victims, but I digress. Um, one important thing about the true crime community is it actually helps offer a whole lot of information um, mm-hmm. and it helps raise awareness. I mean, you could you could you could be walking around really ignorant and then you'll listen to a podcast or watch Snapped or something, and that's fucking real life, dude. Like. Yeah. That shit could happen to you. I don't, nobody wishes it to happen on you. So don't take it like that, but it could, you know? So, I mean, I think people really truly underestimate the value of this kind of information that we and, you know, other podcasts, TV shows and things like that give, you know? Yeah. (sighs) We want to get the the information out there. We want, you know, these stories are not just stories to entertain you, but they're stories to raise awareness and yeah. to like the stories we'll do on missing persons and stuff like that. It's we want to help. We want to get that information right. out there to everybody. And, you know, everybody has a story. That's I don't we don't want to just talk about killers. We want to talk about the victims and remember them. Yes, absolutely. Um, before I get into my case, which is going to be a long one, and I, I've tried so hard to condense it down to where it's going to be one episode, but very well could be two. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm telling you guys, it's been a it's been a week, man. Um, there was something else I saw online. Um, have you heard of the? You saw it? I know you did. Justice for Callie. Yeah. Okay. So basically, for those of you that don't know, it was there were some pictures that went viral by um this girl Callie. Her mother posted this. She was um, apprehensive about posting. This broke my heart because I was looking at this girl's face and she looked almost identical to my own daughter. Okay. Except she was like, what, eight? 
No, she was 10. I'm sorry. She still looked identical to my own daughter. So of course, like it just, it horrified me. Um, but two teens beat this little 10 year old up. She, they basically like went to her house and invited her to play. Um, they were neighbors of her. So she went over to play. They were, they'd gotten along for quite a while up until that point where they just literally beat the crap out of this little girl and stuffed her in a, uh, in a cabinet and locked her in there. And there were also pictures taken of this little girl. There was one picture that broke my heart and it was those two teenage, teenage little shit bags. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. but no, you're not old enough for me to whoop your ass, but you are old enough for me to call you a shit bag because that's what you are. But these two little teenage shit bags were holding this girl by her face and you could see that little girl like I just... I was just like, I could feel that girl just begging inside for her mom. And I just, anyways, I digress a bit. I I wanted to raise awareness on that one too. Go look it up. But um, yeah, so the two teens were beating this girl up and there were pictures and the mom was the one taking the fucking pictures. So the mom, yeah, the mother. What? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't get that far into it, I guess. So basically, um, from what I know, the teens were charged, but the mom fled. So that's what I know as of right now. Wow. What what an upstanding citizen. I know you wanted to call her a see you next Tuesday, and that's totally fine because we're on the same, we're on the same level to cut. Um, But yeah, go look up Justice for Callie and, I mean, trigger warning, I mean, with those pictures, but seriously, go look it up and sign petitions. Let's just do what we can to get justice. That little girl just did not deserve that i don't care i don't care what she what people are assuming she had done she's 10 okay anyway i'm done with that um this has not been the most fun introduction or banter i'm sorry but i mean it's just kind of a pretty serious day um so with that i'm gonna start talking about this shitbag shelly fucking no tech are you familiar with this bitch just a little bit but you know what i kind of didn't i did not deep dive just so you know, I want I want to hear the story from you. Let me tell you. But I know I've, a little bit. I've read this book twice. I've listened to it once. I have listened to um, several podcasts that have covered this. One in particular I'm going to shout out was called Crime and Compulsion. They did a six-part series. On it. Oh, wow. And, I mean, they, they were really um, very articulate and well-researched on this. But, you know, six-part series, an hour per part, that gives you an idea of how big this case is. When I listened to the book, it was 10 hours, okay? And it took me a very long time. And imagine me, I can't really see that good. So it took me twice as long as a normal person would to read this, what, 80-chapter book? So, but it is a, but the book is called, um, If You Tell, it's by Greg Olson. I strongly recommend you either purchase the book to read or purchase it on Audible. Very, very good book. Very long. Um, so my sources mainly come from If You Tell by Greg Olson. Um, they also, some of them do come from, uh, from Crime and Compulsion. Not necessarily on purpose. I actually went and sifted through that, that, uh, those episodes just to make sure I didn't like unintentionally, you know, steal from them. <laughs> Cause the last thing I want to do is plagiarize. Cause that's what shitty people do. Um, and then I also, um, got some more information from Murderpedia. Um, one of them was murderpedia.org slash female dot K slash K slash no tech dash Michelle dot HTM. So, and then there was a couple of articles here and there. Um, New York. So, so who's Shelly No Tech? <clears throat> she was born April 15th, 1954, raised in Battleground, but born in Rain, uh, Washington. She was born. This is what the book said. Michelle Shelley Lynn 
Watson, Rivardo, Long, Batek. <laughs> Very long name. <laughs> so, but I mean, you'll get to understand why she was married a few times. Um, you gotta keep them all? <laughs> I guess. This, this bitch. Hey, man. Um, Les, Les Watson was her father. Um, he was well known in that town. The book says he was full of charm, quick wit, and he was known for his BS. He married Sharon Watson. It's unknown as to when, but by all accounts, Sharon Watson's age, oppressive and a drunk. She would drop Shelley and her older brother Chuck off to their father's house in Shelley's early. And it was as though she didn't. At one point, Les gained custody of them and he and his current wife, Lara, who, by the way, I want to mention right now, Lara is not her real name. Um, but Lara raised them. At the time, Shelley was six, Chuck was three, and Paul was still an in. Lara was 10 years younger than Les. They had married in 1960 after dating for a while. Sharon was never heard from again, never sent any correspondence or even happy birthday when birthdays and things like that rolled around. In 1967, a homicide detective appeared at their home randomly one day to explain that Sharon Watson had been murdered and he needed someone to go ID the body. They also needed to pick up their youngest son, Paul, who had been an infant when the two older children were dropped off at night. Um, it's been speculated that Sharon Watson was um, kind of into sex work like that. So, because um, nobody nobody knew why else anybody would have like some kind of like motive for murder. And she was constantly jumping from place. And it's an unfortunate thing, but you know, sometimes in that kind of, in that line of work, you'll make enemies. So, um, she was born, Shelly, like I said, was born in Raymond, Washington and raised 2.5 hours away in Battleground. Battleground was her battleground. I'm not meaning that to be funny, but it was her battleground. Um, she was pretty challenging growing up. She was outspoken and would basically speak for her younger brother, who stayed quiet. Um, she was considered to be a challenge because according to the book, If You Tell, Lara says that Lara says that she grew more comfortable. She would be downright Lara. Lara. I cannot say the name. Lara. The words she used were voicing complaints and many unkind words. Shelley used to tell Lara how much she hated her. As she grew up, she went from un from unkind and complaining a lot to sadistic. She showed resentment towards her siblings and was vengeful when she wasn't even given a small amount of it. So basically, Shelley wanted all of the attention. All right. When they told her that her mother had passed... She didn't care. Like she was real indifferent. Mm. Uh, she uh, also seemingly took after and looked up to her grandmother, Anna, who evidently was a real treat herself. And we won't go into that one. But basically, Shelly was Grandma Anna reincarnate. You'll you'll figure it out as we go on. Um, I, I can't help but laugh about Grandma Anna because, A, my daughter's name is Anna. And I'm just like, well, fuck, you know? <laughs> But B, it's like, this lady reminds me of a typical mean woman from, like, the 60s and stuff. Like, a mean older woman with, like, that real sour-looking face. And can you imagine, like, the bowl cut with, like, the dirty brown blonde hair and, like, real oh, yeah. close. Like, that's what I'm, <laughs> like, the clothes bangs. That's what I'm imagining gra Grandma Anna looks like. It's like... <laughs> And she was like real tall too, by all accounts. She was real tall, close to six feet tall. And Grandma Anna? Grandma Anna. Um, anyways, but yeah, um, her grandma Anna had women working for her that she treated like slaves. And if they moved too slowly at grooming the grandma, <laughs> good choice of words, Courtney, she would pinch them. She would pull oh. their hair or she would kick them. We'll see how this becomes relevant with Shelly because Shelly did pretty much the same shit. Um, evidently, everyone was afraid of Anna except for Shelly, whom had been given, I imagine, a super embarrassing bowl cut because according to Lara, Anna had said that Lara couldn't brush or groom Shelly proper. Take a brief second to imagine super thick, wavy auburn hair being bowl cut. Oh, man. Did you ever read The Babysitter's Club growing up? Yeah, but it's been a while. Okay, do you remember who, you remember Mallory, right? 
from the babysitter's yes. club. Imagine her hair, right? Because I okay. mean, they did they did a really good job at describing her hair. Imagine that being cut in a bowl cut. It would like fly out. Oh yeah, it'd be yeah. awful. Um, one thing Shelly liked doing was putting glass into her brother's shoes. Um, yeah, she was vindictive and cruel to anyone who may have gotten even the slightest bit more attention he had. Um, Shelly had always been rebellious and challenging. She also didn't take accountability for anything and never accepted fault for anything. That's, that's important to remember. Um, around 15, Shelly had basically lied to the upper TV teaching leadership. I don't know the right word for that. I'm not a smart woman. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but think like, you know, principal or counselor saying the awful things were going on at home. She'd accused her dad of raping her, which later turned out to be a lie. And she had gotten the idea from a magazine that said in bold print on the front, I was raped at 15 by my dad. Um, in my own opinion, it looks like she um, likes to play games like this. Um, I was also talking with Karen from Crime and Compulsion earlier, and we both kind of like slightly differing opinions about what might have happened with Shelly. Um, I I said that I thought that maybe Grandma Anna might have, um, you know, molested her. And she said, I think that, you know, it comes, it stems directly from the maternal mother. And like, nobody really knows for sure, but something happened. Because Shelly has kind of an obsession with like perceived sexual things and nudity, and as you're going to find out. But yeah, um, she likes to play games like that. Um, anyway... Even with the evidence, which Lara brought like the, the magazine that says, I was raped at 15 by my dad. She brought it with her to be like, look, see, she's lying. Here's, here's the evidence. Um, Shelly was still examined and it further proved less in Lara's innocence because she was intact. She, her hymen. Okay. She wanted, she went on to many rounds of unsuccessful family and psychological therapy. She was also eventually blacklisted from all the schools she wanted to return to. At one point, which will be brought up a little later, she stayed with some of Les's relatives only to return two years later after the relatives dealt with so much of Shelly's shit that they ended up... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this bitch. Well. <laughs> She's only like 15 and 16 at this point. <laughs> okay. <sighs> She's 68 now, if that gives you an idea. Um... Another thing that Shelly had done was babysat for some neighbors, I believe. Um, that came to a screeching halt because Shelly would abandon them, lock them in their rooms, and she was just mean to them. She also ended up getting booted out of several schools. She would steal things from other classmates, steal other girls' homework, and then destroy it, and even put glass shards in their shoes. Like Again, she, yeah. yeah. Um, that sounds familiar. So the last yeah. school she went to was St. Mary's of the Valley, where she would originally spend <laughs> what? St. Mary's of the Valley. Does that remind you of something? Just this evil person going to St. Mary's. It's just I just kind of contradicting. I, I'm not trying to be rude here, but when I first heard St. Mary's of the Valley, I kind of got like a Handmaid's Tale vibe, but <laughs> it turns out that these people were smart enough to actually, um, well, you'll you'll see. Um, anyway, so she spent she originally would originally spend the entire month there, which to Lara, of course, was a godsend. And then it dwindled down to the fact that they needed to grab Shelly on the weekends, to where they, she was permanently banned from coming back to that school. I laugh, I laugh because it's like no school wanted to take her, and I'm like, I don't blame you. <laughs> my goodness oh man how sad lara had been willing to do just about anything in a name your price kind of way to get this kid out of her hair <laughs> and the sisters at the school stayed pretty firm about their stance of not ex accepting shelly in no a couple nuns they're like nope <laughs> nope <laughs> 
Not that one. She's going straight to hell. <laughs> oh my god. There's one point in the book where they mention that no matter how awful Shelly was, her father last treated her like an absolute. He basically spoiled her, and I can't <laughs> say. Oh, yeah, he spoiled her. And I can't say I necessarily blame him, to be honest with you, because sometimes it's hard to say no to somebody that you love. That Yeah. So they kind of get them out of your hair. You're like, fine, go do whatever you want. I've done with Anna. She'd be like, I want. I want a cookie. And I'm like, no. And she's like, give me a cookie. And I'm like, fine, too. There was like one. Like I said, you pick your battles. You uh, pick your battles. I, I, with parenting, not with this psycho. Less, basically less. If you're listening to this, I don't even know if you're still alive. But if you're listening to this, I get it. Okay? I get it. Kids, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> there was this one person named Katie who was Shelly's aunt from Les's side of the family. It was Les's sister who basically took the reins and let Shelly stay with her. Again, another godsend hurled Laura's way. I'm sure Laura wanted to scream internally the loudest decibel that Shelly would totally ruin her life. Like, it would be like, no, 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 don't don't take her. But at the same time, if you're in Lara's situation, you'd be kind of conflicted as to whether or not, you know, you'd want to save the other person or save yourself. Which I want everybody to know going forward or remember, uh, there's a lot of conflicted feelings in this whole entire story. And it's just sad. Just just remember it. Lots of conflict. You're also going to notice that things will go like jump back and forth. That's Shelly's. That's that's fucking Shelly. She's just a, a back and forth confusing, manipulative cunt. While Shelly was staying with Katie, she would make it very apparent that Lara was abusing her, was being mean to her, basically painting Lara to be this monster. Okay, Lara was like the complete opposite of anything Shelly would say. Um, of course, if that was, it wasn't true, but that's just, you know, Shelly's M.O. Basically, Shelly did stay with Katie and that entire summer, Lara was counting her blessings and took her, the rest of the family to Disney World or Disneyland thing. Um, I've never personally been to either of those places, so I don't see the difference, except one's in California and one's in Florida, but that's a whole nother. Yeah, it was Disneyland. Okay. They had a camper and they all went. There is a point after a few weeks where Katie had basically called Lara and said, we're going to keep the poor girl here for the summer. She's told us everything. They were basically siding with Shelly. At that point, Lara was like, okay, fine. Bye. (laughs) Just take her. I don't, I don't, Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, bro. (laughs) I don't blame her one bit. Unfortunately, though, the whole time that Shelly was staying with Katie, which was two years, that was her last, quote, stop on the high school tour, unquote. She she essentially ended Frank and Katie's marriage. Remember, we were talking about that. It's all her problem. The problem caught. Mm. Okay. So Shelly was married three times, and with each person she was married, she had a child. Um, The first man she married was Randy Rivardo, whom she met when she was 17. Randy was not known to put up with any BS, but he was pretty enamored with Shelly, so for a while he kept his mouth shut. They were seen as a striking couple. They married when Shelly was 19 in 1973, but nobody from Randy's Randy's side showed up to the wedding. It's later found out that she never even sent them invites. So basically she was an alienate. It was one of those marriages that pretty much ended as fast as it had started because Shelly's true nature would shine through. She would complain. Um, she didn't want to live in another trailer. Also complained of severe menstrual cramps and started missing a lot of work at the nursing home that her dad was in charge of. He essentially fired his daughter so she'd go work at other nursing homes ran by other family members, which she'd get fired from due to all of her absences. And then she'd return back to her, her dad's, which... He finally ended up firing her permanently, but it's like, he would fire and he'd be like, but you can come back in a couple weeks. That's what a real boss does. You're fired. You're fired indefinitely. Um, 
Randy was the only one that was benefiting the two of them. Shelly absolutely contributed nothing but demanded everything. Um, remember, you know, we were talking about her dad, like, treated her like a princess. Um, mm. Her dad had even gotten her a pink convertible, and she was not pleased because it wasn't a Volkswagen Beetle. So she oh. threw, like, this big tantrum over that. Well, well she, you know what? I would, too. Yeah. You know what? Fuck a free car, right? If you're going to give me a pink convertible, it better be a VW Bug. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, fuck that free car that she did not have to earn. Um, but anyways, that same night that she got that um, convertible, um, she went into a coma. She oh. she OD'd on some pills. So, so celebrating a little too much? No, no, no. She she was depressed. So fortunately, um, they took her to the hospital, okay. and um, so she was taken to the ER and they pumped her stomach. Um, only she wasn't in a coma, and the pills that she had taken was like two ass. <laughs> I'm not laughing, but I am. So she was faking the coma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's faking the coma. You can fake a coma? I guess so. She was probably just asleep. She probably took a nap. I was about to say, I need a really good nap. Yeah, same. Uh. Just take two aspirin. <laughs> Another time. Oh, man, Shelly. <laughs> Another time, um, she told Randy that someone came and raped her and totally ransacked and destroyed the home. When police questioned her about a rifle she claimed was there, the story then changed. But nevertheless, she insisted she wasn't safe there and felt it would be safer to live in a, quote, cute little house in town. Um, she announced a pregnancy in 1974, so many to many people's dismay, but also hoping it would maybe trigger a kinder, more motherly. And Randy, Randy's family wanted to drive all the way from Pennsylvania to bring gifts, but of course she alienated them. And Randy wasn't, he wasn't having it. They came to visit and bring the gifts, but, you know, but Shelly ended up alienating herself. And then the gifts would go missing. She just couldn't explain why. Like, I don't know where, I don't know where those gifts. Um, also, when Randy's family left, one of the sisters had, you know, accidentally left some clothes behind. So Shelly decided to perk up and offer to mail them back. Um, so she did. The package did come in time, but inside of this perfectly fine package, there was her clothes all cut up. Um, the post office had to have done that, according to... So oh. basically, the post office opened this package and cut up a bunch of clothes from yeah. some rando that they don't even know, and then just, you know, closed it up and made it all pretty. Ooh, man. <laughs> yeah. He's got some bad luck. I'm just saying. I know, right? And all this... And it's... None of, none of this... Remember, none of this... Shelly's doing. Shelly didn't do any. No, she's innocent. Oh my gosh. Ab absolutely. Duh. Nikki was the firstborn from Randy Rivardo. Lara was excited, but Shelly, not so much. Randy ex essentially started sleeping in his car and was only needed for his paycheck. Finally, Randy left her, but Shelly went to try to talk him into coming back. She stayed at his family's home for a few weeks and caused so much drama. It worked for a split second. He almost did go back, but then he was like, nah, and he filed for divorce. <laughs> um, go, Randy. There were financial things going on that she was needed for, which caused growing debt for Randy. Then seemingly out of nowhere, Shelly nowhere to be found. And a relative called Lara to tell her to come get Nikki. So Nikki was basically like dropped off at a relative's house. Um, Shelly oh, wow. stayed gone. Yeah. Shelly stayed gone for like a year. And then suddenly she reappeared and retrieved Nikki from Lara, much to everyone's dismay. Shelly oh, basically got my kid now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been gone, but here, let me get, I'm taking my kid. <laughs> no, it doesn't what? work like that, bitch. Um, she would, she would fiend a love for Nikki for the public eye, as it were, but it seemed to be far from the case behind closed doors. There were letters and cards that were sent to Nikki that were hidden from her that Nikki did find later. Danny Long, a neighbor of Shelly's, and Shelly ended up moving in together and marrying in 1978 while Shelly was seven months pregnant. Soon after the wedding, Sammy was born. Danny was actually good to the girls, but he could not stand for Shelly's BS. 
Fights between them grew physical and after five years of marriage, they divorced. She told her dad she needed money for the divorce because Danny had cheated on her, which later turned out to be a lie. In 1983, the year of the Courtney, <laughs> Dave Notek was the new dad and they ended up moving to Rain, Washington. Dave and Shelly met at a bar, exchanged numbers, and romance had lost picture-perfect Nora Roberts turned Stephen King novel. There was a time, there was a time um, Nikki had recounted a memory that before they moved to Raymond, she woke up to a pillow smother face. She had screamed for her mommy and magically Shelly was right there asking what was wrong and shushing Nikki and insisting that this was just a bad dream. Nikki would argue that it was definitely not a dream, but Shelly would just poo-poo that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nikki remembers the look on her mom's face being more interested than concerned. And this stayed with Nikki. Uh, At this point, you can imagine that I am insinuating that Shelly had actually tried to her daughter. So if if y'all didn't catch that, that's that's exactly what happened. So, but remember that. Because it does come up again. Shelly, just when you don't think things can get worse. Shelly also had cancer. Okay? She had cancer. Okay. But it was bogus cancer. Like, this cancer did not exist. Spoiler alert. Again? <laughs> First she's in coma, now she has cancer? Okay. Oh, gosh. She's one of those people. I'm sorry. If you're like that, I don't like Oh. Don't think illnesses, please. Check it. I'm going to go ahead and kind of, like, spoil this a little bit. She she started out saying that she didn't. She only had a year to live. This is she was 29 at this point, right? To this day, she still has cancer. She's still holding it up. <laughs> she's she's trying to. What? She's trying to. Have um, the doctors told broken the news to her yet that she's magically cured? Oh wait, just wait. So, um. Anyways, she had a bogus cancer story. She painted that Jay's Dave actually chose to believe she'd been 29 at that point, and with this cancer, she wouldn't live past 30. She needed someone to save her or care for her kids when she was. Dave and Shelley Notek married in 1987. One of the witnesses was Kathy Loreno, a hairdresser and Shelley's best friend forever, and also a major key player in this entire story. Remember her? Okay. The cancer claims continued well beyond the year she was given to live. Lara had a medical background and knew that the BS was BS for what it was. She would persistently but gently call Shelly out on this, but Shelly always denied it. She would often change her symptoms, the type of cancer, saying the doctors were wrong, things like that. Cancer was just a ploy for attention, obviously. but That happens all the time, you know. Yeah. You know, just the the cancer just magically disappears in one spot and reappears in another spot and just, you know, moves all around. And also people typically are cured from cancer and then the cancer just randomly comes back when, you know, your husband. (laughs) Gosh, we're not trying to we're not trying to downplay cancer here. Like we realize that cancer is a big, a big, huge deal and it's horrifying. We are trying to make fun of people who pretend to have illnesses to get their way. There's, there are people that have like Munchausen's and we are not trying to to make fun of people with Munchausen's. Like we get that that's a legitimate medical or uh, mental illness. We're making fun of Shelly. We're making fun of Shelly (laughs) Notech. Anyway. Um, but yeah, she would often change the symptoms and she would say the doctor was wrong. The cancer was just a ploy for attention. Dave would believe Shelly. But Lara knew something was amiss because nobody would be allowed into the appointments. Dave would drop Shelly off for a chemo and then pick her up about eight hours later. Um, I'm going to piggyback here off of Crime and Compulsion on this one. Um, like I said, they are a great true crime podcast. I strongly recommend them. I'm not a doctor, but I don't think chemo takes eight hours. <laughs> you think, does chemo take eight hours? I don't. Um, it actually, it does take a while. I don't know exactly how long, but I know you're sitting there for a while. My dad had cancer. Well, my stepdad had cancer also. 
Um, and I don't think it's eight hours. I know he had to go in for visits quite frequently, but it was like more like maybe four or five hours, not eight. Um, they were also thinking that maybe um, she would leave out the back door or something and go do her thing while people would wait for her. Um, another thing she would continually do was beg her dad for things to which he would comply. And then she would turn around and trash talk him behind his back. Um, I know all of this seems like it doesn't matter or even relate to the story, but... I'm just trying to paint a picture of what Shelly was like. There's so much more to her, but I'm going to move on to the most important part of this, which is the victim. They lived in an average kind of environment. They lived near fisheries and anything pertaining to the ocean. Uh, their house was well kept, but it was only for surface value, so people didn't have an idea of what all was going on. Shelly always had the house spotless, and she portrayed happy family photos everywhere. You know, did your basic white girl thing, and I'm sure she had a live, laugh, love where it was like all just for show. <laughs> I, Amanda, I don't know if you have a live, laugh, love thing. Okay. No, I used to, but then I I'm remembering I a commercial of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. I remember, you know what, though, there was a Rob Zombie, and I totally am going off track here, but real quick, there was a Rob Zombie one I saw where it was like, it said live, laugh, love, and it was like, live through the ditches and laugh through the witches and love in the back of my Dragula. <laughs> like, I kind of want that, but then I feel like it would get made fun of. In a <laughs> okay. Oh, <that> style. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the victims. Um, it actually started with the children. Uh, it started with Nikki and sometimes Sammy, although Sammy was kind of favored over. Um, okay, I'm going to define wallowing real quick, just in case people aren't aware. Um, wallowing, and you'll hear it used quite a bit going forward, is basically where Shelly and Dave would send them outside in the middle of the night in the freezing cold and make them roll around in the mud while they sprayed them with cold water from the hose. So she would, she would set forth with this punishment called wallowing. She would randomly punish these kids and would force them up to apologize and they would apologize not knowing what they did wrong if anything like what? the girls yeah the girls would be like please forgive me please i didn't mean it um nikki would receive the punishment quite a bit more than sammy did and um i'm sure sammy might have understandably been white but also um she was factually scared <laughs> like she says she remembers wishing that she were enduring the same punishment that nikki was so she would not be alone um nikki was the kind of person who would stand up to her mom and sammy pretty much stayed compliant she also remembered she's also remembered as having a bit more of a social life than nikki did and nikki thought that maybe shelly was laying off of Sammy because she was afraid Sammy would tell. So Nikki did take the brunt. She was called ugly and and I'm and not because I like using f bombs all the time. I'm just gonna go ahead and quote pretty much what I've seen. But she was called ugly and fucking worthless all the time. One thing I want to briefly bring up: you'll see Shelly does things like this often. There was a point where Shelly had tried to punish Nikki. Nikki tried to make a run for it, but Shelly caught her and swung her around so hard that Nikki ended up hitting a wall and um in the wall was a protruding nail. So oh. she, yeah, actually the book says she was literally nailed to the wall. Um, it was also at that point where Shelly would be like, oh gosh, oh gee, I'm, I'm so sorry. And then she would lay off of Nikki for a bit. Um, and then of course it would start up. Also, there were times where Sicky, Nick, Sicky and Nami, <laughs> Nikki and Sammy would wear things like opaque and long t-shirts to cover up bruises so nobody would ask questions. There would be times where they would all be one big happy sunshiny family and then there were other times where the girls would be locked in their room and called the fucking worthless trash or whatever. There were times, yeah, it's awful. 
and it gets worse. <laughs> there were times where they were literally punished from having Christmas. And then the next day they would have Christmas because I guess they need to remember that Shelly was a quote, good mom. They would get all these really great gifts and, that they had asked for only for Shelly to take them away from them the next oh. Um It was like a weird, I don't know, it was like mood swings, but multiplied by like 800. The book mentions that it's a Cabbage Patch doll that Nikki had wanted. And she had really wanted this Cabbage Patch doll. And Shelly would finally give it to her for Christmas, only to take it away and, you know, hide it in a closet. And Nikki would sneak into that closet and snuggle the doll. And then she Aww. would put, yeah, it was sad. Um, there was also a time where they got some teddy bear pins in their stocking. Apparently they got lost in all the trash from all the Christmas wrapping. So they got punished for that because they lost the, the, the teddy bear pins. They were called selfish and ungrateful, but... Later, the teddy bear pins were found tucked inside of a present because Shelly hid them on purpose. So they didn't, yeah, she, they didn't actually lose them. That came, that also came from the book. A lot of this came from, um, Shelly would also make up stories like, we have no water, so, water, so you're not allowed to take a shower anymore. And eventually she couldn't, they couldn't use the bathroom without asking and they couldn't use the toilet. So they had to use things like bucket. Um, <clears throat> also the house, again, I will mention was always spotless, like, Shelly didn't want anyone to have any idea of what happens in clothes. Uh, lipstick on the pig, if it were. Anyways, Shane Watson moved in with Shelly first. Um, he's her nephew. Her brother was Paul's son. And he was in prison and he did plenty of prison stints. So Shelly wanted to swoop in and be seen as a hero. So at first she was really kind to Shane. Um, Shane was the same agent as Nikki too. I think they were like, what, fourth time? I'll find out. It's in my notes. Um, but she treated him like a son and she had even started calling, or he had even started calling her mom. Um, Shane, by all accounts, was a goofy kid. Girls his age thought that he was just so cute and life was just great for him at first. But then things started to turn for the worse. At first it was just about 24 hours a day of chores. And then Shane would start endure, start to endure the wallowing and the punishments that Nikki and Sammy also endured. Yeah. Shane and Nikki at that point formed a bit of an alliance and by all accounts um, he was seen more as a brother than a cousin. They loved him so very. Shane slept in the basement without a bed um, until Lara had intervened and gave Shelly money to get him a bed. Lara, she actually intervened as much as humanly possible which for a while was not a lot because Shelly alienated her. Um, there was one point where Shelly had made Shane and Nikki strip naked and tearfully slow dance in front of her and sometimes Dave. Oh my. Yeah. Shane and Nikki would also be made to wallow outside in the freezing cold. A lot of the time, Shelly would wake them up in the middle of the night, you know, strip them from their bed covers, things like that, and say things like, get the fuck up, take your clothes off, and get the fuck outside. She wanted to teach them a lesson, and she would say, um, Dave would do more, she would, she would, Dave would do more of the talking and spraying, but Shelly would kind of stand a few beats away and demand Dave to make these orders. Like, she was the brains and Dave, Dave was the quote-unquote brawn. Now, pauses for just a second, um, and just kind of let everybody know, um, it's okay to somewhat feel sorry for Dave, but with that in mind, he is still just fucking... That's how I feel about him right now. Yeah. He he was abused by Shelly. But he's also a grown man who could very well stand up for himself for power this bitch. And he didn't. So, really when it comes to the children. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, Dave was very compliant in all of this. But um, he would also say things like, he didn't really want to do this, but he also could not stand and not stand by Shelly. He loves Shelly a lot. So it's, like I said earlier, there's a lot of conflicted feelings in this entire thing. So um, I'm just going to kind of say, look, it's okay to feel sorry for him somewhat. It really is. But he's still a piece of shit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I am only on what page four or five? <laughs> Sixteen pages. I'm I'm trying to make this go as quick as possible, but there's a lot. So let's get to it. Um, I'm trying to stay quiet over here. No, no, please interject as much as you like. This this is one of those podcasts. Well, I'm listening, but I just don't want to know how much people want to hear me go. Ugh. Go for it. Microphone. I guarantee you, other people are like. Just as much as you are, if not even worse. Like they're probably I'm making a lot of faces. I'll tell you that. Yeah, this there there's a lot of outrage. Excuse me, I'm having to move a little bit weird because I actually busted my knee uh, two weeks ago and it's still pretty bad. So don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Enough about me. <laughs> so, um, like she was, you know, she was the brains. Dave was the bar. Shelly would also grab anything within her reach. Could be an electric toothbrush, a baseball bat, a two by four, shoelaces, whatever. Anything was considered a weapon. And Shelly was one of those people that would invent a pus- punishment for an equally invented wrongdoing. Like the girls would literally do nothing wrong. They would eat their dinner, do their chores, go to bed, only be forced to wake up few, a few hours later and endure such the abuse that they had endured is far worse than I'm putting it on because again listening to the book is a 10 hour feat and we were trying to cover this in like an hour or two hours tops but to get the general idea these kids were basically beaten into submission in 1998 around the time Shelly was pregnant with little Tori so that's her third child mm-hmm. Kathy Loreno you remember me briefly bringing her up yeah okay. she moved in with Shelly after a falling out between Kathy and her mom Kathy had to move in with her mom in the first place because she had been fired for not making enough sales at a hair styling um, all of the customers and even her co-worker co-workers loved Kathy but I guess she had a quota that she needed to reach on selling hair products and um, that's not necessarily why people go to the hairstylist but you know She'd gotten fired for not selling enough hair, hair product and pretty much lost everything. So Kathy moved in with her mom. Her mom, instead of being an understanding mother, expected Kathy to pay rent and bills and whatnot, like, right away. Um, you know, give the girl some fucking time to get on her feet, you know? The rest of that can come later. Yeah. But um, all accounts say that Kathy's mom was belittling and also demeaning Kathy for not having a way to pay. So Shelly saw an opportunity in that and invited Kathy to move in. No, no, she wanted to save Kathy, okay? No, oh, okay. Remember that. Wanted, yeah. She yeah. wanted to save Kathy from her mother. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kathy then did her part around the house, which, um, you know, is a big welcome thing for, for Kathy. You know, they were best friends, she and, and Shelly. Shelly was very warm and welcoming, treated her like her equal. Um, they called this house the Louderback House. I don't quite remember why, but this house is the Louderback House. It's important because they do end up moving away from it later. Um, but Kathy had cooked and cleaned. She took care of Nikki and Sammy and Shane. And she also took care of little Tori when she was... There were times that Nikki recounted that she and Shane were resentful of Kathy because she would, I guess, report mishaps to Shelly or enforce rules. Also, Kathy was another demanding authority figure in the house. Like, they absolutely, totally needed that. But she but she did so in more of, like, a living, a loving, mothering type of way, you know? So she was... She would be, like, disciplinary, but she would be, like, gentle about it compared to Shelly. But yeah, they had such a blast at first, she and... Uh, uh, Shelly and Kathy. Kathy did. Um, but then the abuse of Kathy started when Tori had, was given a necklace as a gift and Shelly had given her a stuffed animal. This was like, they had this big elaborate birthday party for Shel- for Tori. Um, this was, yeah. So basically after that, you know, they were holding up appearances, you know, things like that. Um, after, so shortly after the party was over, or maybe it was right before, Shelly had asked Tori what her favorite present was. Okay. And like, she was la- like lush with all these presents. And I mean, they just elaborate, elaborate, elaborate. Right. Okay. And Tori goes, 
the necklace Kathy gave me. Tori's, yeah, Tori's favorite present was that necklace. And I mean, she didn't know any better. I think she was like four at the... Maybe she was a little younger. I don't remember. Uh. So basically, Shelly lost her shit in a fit of jealous rage and turned on Kathy. So at first, with wallowing and things like that, um, Shelly would basically have to swoop in and treat her like the best friend initially. Um, but she also considers herself something of a savior because, you know, she took Kathy away from a bad situation she was already in. Um, after a while, Shelly would start the abuse... Um, and she would belittle her for her size. Um, Kathy was a big girl. <laughs> um, yeah. But she was, you know, by all accounts, really sweet. People loved her. Um, there was a picture that I saw of her. And oh my God, I would totally been her. Um, she um, started like with the wallowing. She would belittle her. She started making her take a cocktail of pills. Um, one of the, I don't remember the exact pills. Um, I know they were like barbiturates. Things like that that would really fuck you up. Um, she would also have her run up and down a hill in the freezing cold in the middle of the night. Like barefoot. Um, all of this started from the supposed betrayal that her daughter liked Kathy's present. Her mother. How <clears throat> does how does a grown woman have... Go ahead. Ask it. Um, how how like i know there's i just don't want to say anything that's going to hurt anybody's feelings but how does a grown woman that's been independent get sucked into this kind of right situation that she got herself into and to be honest with you a lot of people have that question the answer is um quite a bit more complex than that um thing i'm gonna compare this to a cult okay? okay you could be the most power trip person you could be the least you could be an alpha you could be uh whatever the opposite of an alpha is <laughs> you could be intelligent you could be downright stupid it doesn't matter um there are people that run cults that have that kind of power yeah some you know anybody could be victimized by people like that essentially in my eyes this is kind of like a cult that shelly's running she sucks you in and then once she's got you um right where she wants you that's how it happens um it could happen to it excuse me it could happen to anybody it's a sad it's a sad unfortunate reality but it could happen so i mean you hear about it all the time yeah, so I, I I get it. Like my initial thought was, Kathy, get the fuck out of there. But but it really, with that kind of situation, it is not e- not easy at all. I get that. I don't personally get it, but I mean, right? I understand. Have you ever had? Okay, have you ever had a friend that you found out later wasn't really a friend, but for the longest time you were afraid to like be like, hey, we're not friends anymore because you were afraid of what they would do. Yeah. Okay. It's yep. like that. It's like that. Um, eventually you do balls up and just be like, deuces, I, I can't go do yeah. this. Right. Yes. But for the longest time you were under their spell. It, yeah. It's, it's a lot like that, except this involves abuse. A lot of it. So poor girl. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it absolutely could happen to anybody. So, you know, um, also, you also got to remember the fact that Kathy <clears throat> was in a bad situation already. It couldn't get much worse according to her, you know, <clears throat> but yeah. unknowingly she went from the fire into the flame. <laughs> And people like Shelly prey on people like that, um, as do cults. So, but anyway, the, the abuse ended up being, quote, for Kathy's own good. <clears throat> so it was supposedly to help her, like, lose weight and stop doing stupid things. She wasn't really doing stupid things, but everybody was doing stupid things, according to Shelly. Um, you know, but we know how Shelly is. 
She thrives on humiliating others. Another thing you got to remember. Mm. There was a time where she had punished Kathy because Kathy was supposedly hiding junk food underneath her bed, which she actually wasn't. And Kathy insisted that she wasn't. <clears throat> but Shelly was the kind of person that would plant these items underneath the bed. She would get, Shelly would get off on purposely trying to get people on her bad side or get them in trouble after they had absolutely done nothing wrong. Um, Kathy would insist that she wasn't doing these things that Shelly would say and Shelly would be like, oh no. No, don't worry. I'm going to help you. You don't remember it because you were sleepwalking or whatever. Like this just didn't happen. But according to Shelly, it did. So she would start. And when I say this, I mean this very loosely. She would start helping Kathy by feeding her the said cocktail of prescription drugs. She would force her to get naked and run up and down a hill in the freezing cold, like I said. And also at one point, she accused Kathy, who was now sharing a room with Shane, of putting the Mac on him, saying that she saw her get naked in front of Shane. And she would accuse Kathy of being a pedophile. Oh, my God. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. She said it wasn't true. Um, she didn't say it. Was, I'm, I'm saying it, but it wasn't true. Um, Kathy insisted that this wasn't true, but by now we're all pretty from Shelly's sick tag. So Kathy would be forced to sleep in the hallway and have no contact with Shane, you know, and then the abuse continued on and it just got worse to a point where Shelly would take rotting meat and spoiled food and make smoothies for Kathy to choke down. Ah! And she would, she would be like, isn't that delicious, Kathy? Doesn't it make you feel better? And Kathy would unfortunately be like, yeah, this is awesome. But, you know, Kathy was down 100 pounds at this point to, due to being starved and forced to take a mix of pills and also a stress, right? Yeah. And all of this is like a huge understatement, but, you know, stress. Um, she was beginning to be so weak that she couldn't move and also wasn't allowed to use the restroom or shower. There were times that Shelly would humiliate her over her smelling bad due to not being able to shower, so she would throw bleach on her. <gasps> yeah. Kathy was very, very weak eventually, uh, seeming out of li- uh, seemingly out of it like she just wasn't mentally there and she was barely comprehending anything. Uh, there was one point where she was losing uh, touch with reality a bit. They had her playing with one of Tori's little toys and just the way that she was looking at the toy, it was it was just like she wasn't even there. It's like, you're knocking on the door, but he's answering. She also started losing a bunch of her teeth. Um, so, you know, in an out of sight, out of mind fashion, because, you know, Shelly was starting kind of like low key feel bad, I guess the worst thing I could come up with, but it's there. Um, she was moved from the furnace. She would, she wasn't feeling bad. I'm sorry. She was realizing how big the situation was. Shelly was like, oh, put her, put her away. Maybe the problem will disappear, you know? So she, st- you know, she moved her from the furnace room that she was currently living in to a laundry room. Um, they moved her away from the Louderback house at one point and into a house in Monaghan Road. By all accounts, it was small at 600 or 1,600 square feet with two small bedrooms on the top floor and one on the bottom floor with one bathroom. Next to the bathroom on the bottom floor where Shelly is, where where Shelly and Dave slept. Remember, everybody wasn't allowed to use the restroom without her. Shane was sleeping in Nikki's closet at that time and at first, Kathy was on the living room floor. She went from she went from having her own big, full apartment of belongings to having personal items that would fit into a small bag because all of her belongings dwindled down, mysteriously disappeared. It was all Shelly. Um, it was, it's important to note that at this point, all of the abuse Kathy had been suffering was at the hands of both Dave and Shane. Yes, I said Shane. By Shelly's order. Shane didn't actually want to you know abuse Kathy but he was so terrified of Shelly that he had no so she was moved in the pump house to be quote protected from those kids Shelly would say namely Shane who again didn't do this of his own will and I'm, I'm really stressing that because we got to remember that Shane is an actual victim like he where Dave could easily say fuck this 
we're not doing this anymore. Shane was still a kid and could not do anything. He could not. So I feel awful about Shane. Kathy yeah. did. Yeah. Kathy did try to escape several times, but Shelly would hunt her down. Shelly's a hunter, by the way. Um, and she would hunt her down. She would um, make a point where Kathy was weeding and Shelly didn't like her work. So she made Dave kick her several times in the head steel toe boot. Oh, yeah, there was another point where Kathy was not allowed to use the bathroom. So she tried to, like, kind of sneak some Tupperware and evacuate her bowels into the Tupperware. Of course, Shelly found it and wanted to punish her, so she and Dave ended up waterboarding. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. It gets worse. It really pissed me off. It gets worse. Oh. Kathy um, was, you know, made to eat these spoiled meat and produce smoothies I mentioned earlier. But they also made her eat cups of salt. Like, sippy cups. Not just like a little tiny cup, a sippy cup full of salt. And as Shelly said, it was to help her with water retention. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like that would have the opposite effect. <laughs> that would make it so much worse. Shelly liked to go on and on about how she thought Kathy was a big fatty. So anyways, um, then there was a point where Shelly did get scared. She and her girls moved Kathy to inside the house because Shelly was scared. Shelly started to kind of like calm down and relax on Kathy quite a bit. Um, she finally got Kathy inside of the house where she could get a hot shower. And, you know, after so long of not going to shower, I mean, that's like a miracle, right? But... Yeah. Kathy couldn't stand up on her own because she was so weak. So they ended up actually, you know, giving her a hot bath. Um, but yeah, before the bath, you know, she actually fell and there was like a glass door and she actually fell and the glass door fell over and it broke and she sliced herself on that glass. Whoa. So yeah, it had fallen off the track. It, sh it shattered. Um, Shelly, Shelly was being faux sweet in the moment, wrapping her wounds up, tried to stop the bleeding. Um, it was this moment and shortly thereafter that they all realized Kathy was just not all there. She was eventually moved from the pump house to a laundry room, like I said earlier, with a twin-sized mattress. Dave at this point was really concerned and realized something was very wrong with Kathy. One side of her face had started to droop. So basically she had had a stroke. Yep. And she wouldn't follow simple movement with, the, with her eyes. What once was a bright, happy, healthy woman with her own ideas is now withering down to nothing and had apparently had a stroke and had been so weak that 36 year old Kathy Lorena was found to be choking on her vomit after Dave came home her mom. Dave had tried to revive her but it was too late. Mm. Shelly, yeah, she passed away. Shelly later told the family that she had run off to a job and was noted as, quote, doing well. This will come back up. <laughs> Dave had then taken Kathy's body and burned it to get rid of the evidence. He later recounts that oh. saying, yeah, he recounts that saying he burned her not because he was hiding a murder and he never reported her death to law enforcement or a hospital because he didn't want people to ask about the physical to her body. Um, she did. She, Shelly then made Dave drive all the way to Canada. This is where it gets weird. Um, and mail a forged letter that Shelly had made the girls practice can Kathy's handwriting on, um, stating to her mom that she was fine and she ran away to Hawaii in love with this guy named Rocky, who I think was a truck driver. It's also believed that Rocky either never existed or that he was a long lost fleeing of Kathy's past. So Shelly was just kind of a story. Um, but yeah, just to make, she wanted to use that. And then she included a, blur a blurry picture she found of a woman standing in front of a semi truck just to make it that much. Marble. So she would include that in one of the letters. Uh, the woman wasn't Kathy, but according to Shelly's brain, it very well could have been. Oh my gosh. There's a picture of some woman in front of a truck. 
Yep. Shelley would have Nikki practice Kathy's handwriting and continue letters of Kathy's escapades in Mexico, Canada, Cali, just happy to be on a nationwide road trip. Um, there would be times where Shelley would change her mind about some of the letters last minute and she would make Dave go all the way to Canada using the mail key that Shelley had stolen from Kathy's belongings and retrieve the letters out of the mailbox before they were sent. So Washington to Canada, I mean, it's not that far, but it's still too far to drive to do, to do all that fucking work. <laughs> this lady. Man, (laughs) it's piece of work. I'm telling you, man. Um, Anyway, so Shelly started to threaten Shane not to tell. She was really dead set on thinking Shane would tell, okay? Her own paranoia was starting to work full force, and Shane would insist and promise that he would not say anything. He also started trying to leave stories about, I'm sorry, weave stories, about essentially blaming Shane himself. Um, there was also a part where, and I got this directly from, uh, if you tell, I, I used voice to text for some of my nose notes. So it shows a few towel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So if I start saying some weird shit, that's why I will correct myself. <laughs> it's not a few towel. It's if you tell. Got it. Um, but anyways, Shelly had called Kathy's mother to see if she, if she would be willing to come see Kathy because Kathy was worried that the family may or may not look for her, but also knew that Kathy's mother probably didn't want anything to do with her. Um, and then Shelly was relieved at that point because that confirmed what Kathy, I mean, Shelly's uh, thought was that Kathy's mother did not care, right? How sad. Well. Or is yeah. that not true? No, I mean, well, we'll see. Um, so, um, just remember that because Kathy's family does essentially pay, play a pretty big part towards the end. Okay. Um, there was, I mean, it's not like the biggest part, but you'll see. Okay. Um, there was a point where Shelly would make Nikki someone would, yeah, someone spying on the neighbors to make sure that they didn't know what was going on. And no matter how, no matter how much Nikki insisted that they didn't know anything, Shelly just kept making her go eavesdrop on them and spy. Like Shelly was straight up paranoid at this point. Yeah. She also had Shane steal food and put things like pepper spray on their doorknobs, I guess trying to run them out of town so she wouldn't have to worry about them. Um, I don't understand the logic there, but okay. And then it's at this point where Shane decides that he is fucking taking, okay? Um, real quick, like, Shane is noted in the book as, like, reminding Sammy and Nikki, your mom is fucking nuts, dude. Your mom's fucking nuts. You know, we gotta turn her right. We gotta turn her right. Um, and this was always, like, when Shelly wasn't around, so there's no reason why Shelly would be suspicious of Shane. She just was. Um, at one point, Shelly and Dave argued about Shane. Dave would defend Shane and say... He's blood, Shelly. He's not going to tell. And Shelly would insist that he will and even accused Shane of abusing Tori, which he wasn't doing. But somehow there was a pair of bloody panties in the woodshed where Shelly said that he must have hidden them. Um, so... (laughs) Dave ended up beating Shane bloody and bruised, but then shortly after, February of 1995, 19-year-old Shane Watson seemingly disappeared into thin air. But Shelley would say that he must have run away and that he would turn up and that he always turned up. And she said that he had left her a birdhouse. Remember, we were talking about that earlier. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. Left her a birdhouse as a gift that he had built in one of his woodshop classes and left her a note simply saying, I love you. Shelley played this up to be yeah. like, yeah. Shelly played this up to be like some big thing that made her really sad. No one dared say it, but nobody believed Shelly. No one believed Shelly. Like it was a bunch of bullshit and they all knew it. Everyone found it strange that Shelly wasn't doing her usual hunting and scouring everywhere looking for Shane like she normally did when somebody ran away. Um, and that was pretty odd. She would also say that she call, that he would call and the girls must have just... Even Lara had questions wondering why her her grandson didn't call her when 
you know, he was always happy to, but Shelley would explain it away like he's a teenager and he does teenager things. That he ran away to Kodiak Island to work on a fishing vessel, and um, the only person that Shane had ever quote unquote called would be Shelley, because Shelley was the only person that he needed to call, right? My goodness. She is digging her little hole deeper and deeper. Oh, just wait. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, at this time, Shelly would quiz the girls on who Rocky was. Rocky was the one that Ka- Kathy had supposedly ran away with. Um, where was Kathy? Just make sure stories remain straight. It was around yeah. this time that abuse on Nikki started started up again, and Shelly would force Nikki to stay outside and sleep. Nikki would beg her mother to let her in. Shelly would tell her that nobody would ever fucking love her. Just stuff like that. Ugh. The violence had apparently <laughs> escalated. Yeah. The violence had apparently escalated, and Nikki recounted a time she was outside working in her underwear. And Shelly just straight up ran at her with a knife. Like, nobody could recall anything she had done wrong she tried to recall but she couldn't she didn't know she just seen that Shelly would invent things that Nikki had done wrong and just go after her and then mm. the next and then the next morning per usual Shelly would just act like nothing had happened you know just beating around the kitchen like a normal person and be like wouldn't you know like look at what was on the news that you know I mean nothing happened you know okay something is messed up in this woman's head like there's a mental something wrong with this lady yeah she's a fucking gaslighter I mean She's a straight up sociopath. Yes. (sighs) It gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. Um, There was a time where Sammy had admitted to Nikki when they were all hiding in one of the chicken outhouses. I think that's what it's called. I apologize if I'm wrong. Chicken coop. Sure. Chicken coop. Um, but she admitted that she tried to kill herself. Sammy did. Oh, okay. I was like, who? One of the ways she had tried to kill herself was by eating poisonous berries that they had found outside. You know those little red berries that everybody says, don't eat those? Yeah. Um. What an innocent way. I mean, how sad is that? Yeah. It's, it's awful. Like, this whole story is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, she had found them outside, and of course it didn't work. Like, she she ended up throwing up. Again, I'm trying to condense this down to, like, maybe one podcast episode. So if I'm missing some things, I'm truly sorry. I'm not trying to miss the important shit. But I will say that Crime and Compulsion did a great six-part series on this and the book itself. So I'd both read it and listen to it. And when, when you can, just go listen to both of those. But but please listen to ours first. Please, thanks. Okay. <laughs> But anyways, that just kind of gives you an idea of how big the story is. Anyways, it was around this time that Shelly decided that she was going to apply for um, a teacher aid position for special needs children because that she thought that she had wonderful patience. Oh my gosh. With children at that point, right? Oh. Uh, she does, it doesn't last. Don't worry. Shelly was starting to get concerned with Sammy and Nikki's relationship because she didn't want Sammy and Nikki to be close. She kept telling Sammy... Nikki's bad. You know, you can't you can't do this with Nikki, you know. Oh, yeah. She was constantly after Nikki. But it's at this point where Nikki and Sammy finally escape. So that's cool. Um Shelly saw them as a threat. Nikki no longer saw Shelly as a threat. There was a time where Shelly had tried to take away Anything from Nikki regarding getting her high school diploma or her tra- transportation class so she can get out. But that's a whole nother thing. And we'll skip over that. Basically, I'll say yes, Nikki and her resolve grew really strong and she ended up pretty much escaping. Tori, who was six at this point. Oh my God, prepared. Oh. Tori, who was six at this point, wrote a letter to Jesus asking for her sister back. And Shelly found the letter and beat Tori up. 
Oh. Yeah. After that, yeah, because she wrote a letter to Jesus asking for her sister to come back. After that, Shelly tried to, like, weasel her way into Tori's heart at the same time manipulate Tori into believing Easter was pretty much shit. So after that, it was as if Nikki didn't even exist, except Dave would go and stalk her because Shelly would make him do that. He would ask Nikki constantly to come back. Sammy, however, um, she's still in the clutches of Shelly at the moment, and Shelly would, like, steal her homework or burn her library books and just basically do anything to make her life a living hell. There was a point where Sammy had a boyfriend, and he would turn on the headlights um, at night to let Sammy know he was still there. So Shelly would, like, put on this facade that she wasn't doing anything wrong. And then um, as soon as he left, Shelly was on, um, like, just all over her, and things would escalate. Um, I guess a counselor finally figured out what was going on and tried to get Tori removed from the home. But Sammy had unfortunately had to back down and insisted that every. Thankfully, though, there were, the people are starting to get pretty hip to what was going on. According to the book, Sam, Sammy started taking a fuck it approach. <laughs> um, so Sammy took off for a while, but Dave, you know, he was stalking them, right? He did find her and talked her into coming back. They shared how they felt of the entire situation. And it's here where Dave shows his face that he's too, that he too is being controlled and abused, even as a willing participant. So, you know, it's at this point where he and his daughter are like sharing this whole like you know i hate this situation i don't know how to get the fuck out of it but dave's still a piece of fucking shit um anyways sammy ended up going back on the condition that her mother would help her get to college and had a blackmailing technique that worked because she straight up called shelly out on all kinds of bs like the exchange was like you remember how in one of the episodes i was like you all know what i'm dropping without me actually saying it talking about the whole pickles thing with basically it was the same thing like um if i remember correctly sammy would be like if you don't do this then you know what will happen and shelly would be like what would happen and sammy would be like you know you know what would happen because sammy knew that she killed kathy Mm, she's got some blackmail over Uh uh-huh so it worked um i'm surprised it worked yeah when sammy returned it looks like shelly had actually kept her promise and filed out the paperwork for her and even turned it in oh and um by the way (laughs) real quick shelly's still claiming that she has cancer at this point but you know everybody's onto her bullshit there was a point where she had gone into the bathroom after painting her face white to look like some kind of weird sickly mime and when she noticed that people didn't believe her she went back into the restroom and then came back out with a big clump of hair that she had cut from the middle of her head. Oh my gosh. This is just psychotic. <laughs> Lara was not buying it. Lara was there. Oh. Um, and she actually remembers going into the bathroom and she found pieces of cut hair in, in the trash can. And then the scissors in the bathroom with like little pieces of red hair. Okay. And okay. Um, so... Shelly's claiming that she has cancer for how many years at this point? And now she's saying that her daughter, who's talking about Tori, has cancer or multiple sclerosis sclerosis or whatever. Because they were financially tumbling down. So she got granted a hardship because of that. Um, Shelly also used Sammy's social security number to secure about $36,000 in loans. Because none of the money coming in was ever enough for Shelly. She's a cunt. Yeah, so Sammy found out all about this on her own. And, you know, Shelly would deny it. Shelly never told me about it. And as funny as fast as that money came, it also went ever account for it, um, where it was going or what was purchased. Sammy goes to college and Shelly starts turning on Tori, little Tori. There was one night where she, Shelly, she ran into Tori's room and pulled off the bed covers and it's like this face-to-face incident. And she looks at Tori and says, have you ever considered killing yourself? What? Yeah, Tori's eight. What the fuck? 
Yeah. She's like, no, mom, I've never considered that. Tori was really scared because she didn't know what the hell was going to happen next. Was Shelly going to kill her and make it look like a suicide? It was like a day later that Shelly got angry and she would push Tori up against the wall of our cabinet and she hit her head on a ham radio um, that they had and she started bleeding. Tori would cry and Shelly would just be like, get up, you fucking pussy. Quit crying or whatever. The abuse was getting worse for Tori and Shelly would threaten and say things like, I wish I had a... (gasps) Yeah. When Tori hit puberty, oh wait, when Tori hit puberty, Shelly would make her walk in the living room and take her shirt off so that she could examine uh, Tori's breasts and make sure that she was developing properly. Because that's what parents do, you know? Um, Yeah. Tori would try to argue this and Shelly would be like, you have to though. What do you think? What do you think I am? A perv or something? Yeah, Shelly, you're a fucking pervert. Okay. She is. You're a fucking straight up pedophile. I'm sorry. Um, She also told Tori to go in the bathroom with scissors. Tori comes out with all of her hair and Shelly goes, I don't want that. I just wanted to see if he'd do it. So she made, she manipulated Tori into cutting her own. Oh my God. Things like this kept happening. And sometimes she'd make Tori take her underwear off so she can examine vagina. (sighs) That's, that, that's not okay. No, no, it's absolutely not. not okay. We cannot do that. People cannot know. No. I'm sorry. No. I know. We can't. Um, do they, like, this might be digging down too deep or something, but were oh. these kids in school? Yeah. There was yep. no, like, how many times was CPS called? Like, did the teachers notice anything? Like, they they started to pick up on it. Um, it, When Sammy and Nikki got a little bit older, um, they started telling, like, their boyfriends and one of their friends. Um, Tori didn't tell anybody until you know, they, she, you'll find out later that she was kind of instructed to finally do something about it, mm-hmm. um, which was good. It was, Tori is kind of almost like blowing all this. So, oh, baby. Yeah, you'll see, though. It's, it's crazy. Um, she absolutely, like, they were trying to ask Tori, and I'm kind of spoiling it for a little bit later, but they were trying to ask Tori, hang in as long as she could. And Tori was like, I can't. I can't fucking hang in. But, you know, it's... Don't blame her. There's a little bit of good news at the end. 56-year-old Ronald Woodward moved in with Shelly Notek in 2001 after a while of taking care of his friend's cat and a falling out between him and his ex-boyfriend. He had moved into the, um, to the Pacific Northwest with his friend Sandra Broderick, whom he had known since they worked together in the early 90s at a supply department at an Air Force base in Sacramento, California. Sandra noted that he'd make a, he'd make a few hints at suicide, but she knew that he would never follow through with it because he had serious spiritual convictions and that. Um, she had offered she had offered Ron to move in with her and her mom, and he politely declined because he already intended on moving in Shelly and Dave Notek. Wrong choice. Yeah. Um, so he'd borrowed money to retain a lawyer under Shelly's advice to keep from falling under and losing his mobile. They were he was going through some financial shit. Um, apparently, like the law had gotten involved. That kind of gets me there. Um, we do find out that the lawyer actually never existed. And of course, without knowing that, Sandra was very suspicious. Sandra's Ron's friend. <clears throat> Ron insisted everything was fine. Everything's just great. And she took him to his word. Shelly welcomed Ron in the same exact way that she had welcomed Kathy Lorena in arms. Mm-hmm. Um, she set him up comfortably, took really good care of him to help him. Sound familiar? Yeah. Little this savior is, angel here. This is my friend Ron. He's gay. He's been evicted and all, and he'll be working around, he'd say. Mm. Ron waited on Shelly hand and foot and they were like two peas in a pod. Yes, Shelly, dear, he'd be heard saying, Ooh. like, cheerfully. Shelly would call him down for dinners and it was as if he had checked into, like, a five-star hotel compared to what he threw before. Like, he loved the food. The food was fucking fantastic. Yes, Shelly, dear. Like, he, like they loved each other. This warmth... 
that Shelly offered lasted all of two fucking... Now, Tori, let me mention Tori real quick. She took to him immediately and started calling him Uncle Ron. Sometimes, you know, he would let her win at checkers and playing cards and Tori secretly hoped that they would be allies, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they were really good friends. Around two weeks in that Shelly acted annoyed by Ron. The once happy, loyal, and eager to please, yes, Shelly dear, turned into a defeated, abused Shelly. She would sling very offensive F-bombs toward Ron. And I don't mean like the fuck word. You know which F-bomb I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he's gay. Um, that's that's just a word that I'm not going to ever say. And no. she um, called him useless and disgusting and basically said he was a bad influence. Understandably, things started to calm down for Tori as far as the abuse and things got worse for Ron. She was no longer Shelly's target at that point, Ron. Um, Shelly then moved him from his own bedroom down to the computer room on the floor. Everything that he owned, she destroyed and took it away. He was forced to do all the chores around the house and things progressed from here to the work. He was no longer allowed to use the restroom without asking. And a lot of times Shelly will tell him no if he did. Um, he would pee in a Windex bottle and try to hide it. It was getting to a point where Shelly was beating him down to having no identity of his own, but he never resisted anything Shelly would have to Like, he felt like he did it. She also alienated him from his friends or family and, you know, anybody that he might have, including the one that I mentioned earlier that he had known since working for Sandra. Um, she would try to pay a visit, but Shelly would step in and mark her territory. At one point, Sandra got hold of Ron and he spun a lie via Shelly saying he was hiding the police. Uh, Shelly was called out for listening in. So, you know, Sandra was like, you better hang up. I can hear you. Hang up. Sandra offered him a place to live, but he refused it about a week later. Shelly called Sandra saying that she was stressing Ron out and to get out of his life. He also penned a letter to his mom, basically saying that she was dead to him and then to his ex, Gary, because he got rid of his cat. Um, I guess he had a lot of cats and they were really important to Ron. He couldn't care for them because of the falling out regarding the animal. There were many letters of sadness and anger, but the final letter was to his mother granting permission uh, to Shelly to remove his possession. At this point, um, he was alienated, alienated to where he only had Shelly. Nobody. Um, she would send, Shelly would send letters to Ron in Ron's handwriting saying that, you know, he had hated them and basically just made him look like this horrible monster. But then she would call as herself and make her sound like this loving sweet person it was like Jekyll and Hyde right she was doing everything she could um to make it herself look like she was taking care of Ron she was able to successfully alienate alienate him from this family Shelly would say to her daughter that she uh she was sick to Ron sick of Ron and wanted him out but he was too attached to Shelly even though it was obvious that Ron was being forced to stay there and work um she started taking his clothes away and would force him outside to go work and in his in his underwear feeding the animals. Shelly also didn't like that Tori would take up for Ron so she made Ron go in there and look at Tori carefully and say I don't love you. I'm I know that Tori realized that that wasn't true that this was just one of Shelly's games. He was instructed to never see Tori ever again so that's sad because like uh Tori and Ron were close right yeah that was Uncle Ron. Now um yeah now, even though Ron was forced to sleep outside of Tori's door at this point, um, Tori would sneak out over to where Ron was sleeping and she would give him a quick hug. He had his eyes closed like sleep. He would kind of smile and nod as if they had... Yeah. There was a point where Sammy was keeping kind of an eye out, um, but she would insist that Ron was fine, but mentioned that he wasn't wearing shoes. He wasn't allowed to wear It was strange. Shelly wasn't allowing him to wear shoes. There was a time or two that Ron would try to take off, but in typical Shelly fas fashion, um, she would go hunt him down, play that I'm sorry card, and bring him back only to continue to abuse and make it work. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm putting a pin in that one for just a second because there's another guy. James 
Mac McClintock, a family friend of Kathy's mother, arrives in which Shelly and Ron to help care for him. He's 80, okay? Shelly always painted Mac as a father to her and would care for him as if he were. He was elderly and by all accounts boisterous, fun, and loved his wits. Shelly did tell Mac that Ron was gay, and at first Mac wasn't on the idea that a gay man was caring, but the pair had ended up working well. Mac assigned a power of attorney to Shelly so that they that in the event that he passes away, she'd be a beneficiary of state. Um, the abuse with Ron continued, and he still wasn't allowed to use the bathroom. He'd do his business in the yard, and under Shelly's orders, um, Dave would beat him, beat on him for it. Tori also recounts seeing Shelly and Ron outside in the middle of the night. Ron was standing outside in his underwear, and she'd make him slap himself, demanded that he'd do it harder, and she would drop the F. Yeah, she'd continue things like this in an effort to humiliate. Uh, she found a cup of urine and made him drink it because he had to go to the bathroom, and she didn't and didn't want to wake her up. All of this and all Ron could say in response was, I'm sorry. Uh, she would make Ron go outside and just his briefs and weed whack. She was pissed at how slow he was going, but he was like really weak at this point. Um, around February 2002, Mac, going back to Mac, um, he had fallen and hit his head. Shelly acted more exasperated about this and less about Mac, but would say, I don't think he's going to make it. It's bad. Ron was there when it happened. She made sure to say that. Um, Mac had left his house to, uh, to his dog, Sissy, who wasn't going to live much longer. Um, you know, she was an old, well-loved dog. So Shelly would inherit $5,000 and and eventually a $140,000 home. She didn't seem concerned with Max's death at all, but everyone says it's a mystery how he died. The coroner report said that his death was caused by a blunt impact of the head that could have occurred by a fall but could have been. Um, so they didn't was, look in further to that or did they? They did. They, it was, I mean, they, they were like, we, he had a blunt impact to his head. We don't know how it happened. It could have been a fall. So okay. could, could have been the keyword. So it's still like considered, considered a myth. So at that point, there was no proof that someone had actually killed. Um, Shelly was also constantly yelling at Ron, Ron that he had killed Mac. Um, remember she blamed Kathy for things that didn't happen. She started doing that with, uh, Ron. She also used to blame Shane for Kathy. Um, she kept insisting Ron did it to the point where Ron himself started to believe it and would say, I'm sorry, Shelly dear, please don't tell anyone. Um, Shelly would tell a few different stories. One, that Mac fell out of his wheelchair and hit his head, um, really hard and Ron just sat there and let it happen. Another, um, she said that he just fell into a coma and Ron just left him. There. So it was like a bunch of difference. Um, but yeah, at this point, people were getting suspicious um you'll hear about that in a and she started getting angrier and angrier and kept accusing ron of killing mac she kept insisting he kept insisting that he didn't um he would say that he fell out of his wheelchair and shelly would just get angrier and angrier um she was beginning to worry that ron would tell um he visited with his friend sandra at one point and she noticed that he wasn't quite himself um he was taking pills and looking dirty and unwell and sammy also saw him and noticed that he had lost quite a bit of weight. He also was losing his teeth, just like Kathy did. And Shelly had cut off all his hair. It was around this point where Deputy, 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 ugh, Jim Bergstrom came by to serve papers to Ron. Um, his mother had filed a restraining order um, because of all the harassment that she was receiving from Ron, actually from Shelly. Yeah. Um, and noticed how sick looking. Ron had run away when he noticed the deputy because Ron was really worried that the police were just coming after him. And um, the deputy was like, no, I'm just, I'm just here to serve you papers. Later, Shelly had met with the deputy and fed a bunch of BS about Ron. Ron didn't actually there. Um, the deputy called her out on it and he was like, um, I saw him standing there and he ran away. So um, then he asked about Kathy, who... Um, he revealed that her her family 
had hired a private investigator and ran a missing person at him. So her family cared about her, but Shelly played, played dumb about it. A little li- a little later, Shelly received an anonymous type written note saying that the gunshots she had heard were avenging avenging Kathy's death. So people were starting to figure some shit out. Um, it was never mentioned who sent this letter or where this came from, but she received it. Um, they, she started making Ron do naked calisthenics outside. She had already, he had already suffered a fall from the roof at this point while trying to clean gutters. He was pretty sure that he had broken a bone. He was still not allowed to wear shoes, so they told him to jump. Be a man and jump. His heels and feet were splitting open. Yeah. They'd clean him up with hot water and bleach, and the smell was so awful. They, um, Sammy, I believe, was uh, comparing it to a mixture of bleach and rotting flesh. Towards the end... Uh, Shelly relaxed a bit as she had with Kathy and it stayed that way until Ron suddenly just disappeared in the summer of 2000. Man, of course. Like yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like disappearing. Actually. Um, of course, Shelly told Dave that it was a suicide and hit him in the freezer so Dave would be able to bury him in the property. Um, he would have, oh, okay. he would have burned Ron, but at that time they were in the middle of a major burn ban and didn't want people asking questions. Oh my God. Nikki finally told Lara that Dave and Shelly killed Kathy. So Nikki finally whistle blew. Um, Good. They wove this plan to tell. Um, they faxed several bits of documentation, including Nikki's accounts of being made to stay in a hotel while Dave and Shelley got rid of Kathy's body, marking them urgent, um, the documentation, but they didn't ever get a response from Lon. Um, Nikki found the courage to tell everything to her boyfriend, um, Chad, at the time and was persuaded by him to go in person to tell everything. She was terrified, but she did set out to do so because she was ready for this to end. Of course. Um, on the way, she got a call out of the blue from her mother, who somehow had found Chad's number. They were estranged, but Shelly had acted like nothing was going wrong. See, so Nikki had decided that she was never going to talk to her mom again, but like... Out of the blue, Shelly was like, hey, girl, how's it going? We're going to go to Disneyland. You're coming with us. Blah, blah, blah. And Nikki was like, yeah. Okay, mom. Bye. Um, and how old was she at this point? I think she was like 19. Okay. Um, Nikki quickly like was like, hey, I got to go. This is Chad's phone. Hung up. Uh, they proceeded on to the police department, who was already fairly concerned about Kathy's whereabouts at this time. Nikki had also called Sammy um, and told her that she thinks her mother killed Shane also. So finally, like, they were all, like, speaking what they all thought. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sure that they'd hear back after he- after she went to the police, um, but they never did hear back. Now, the detective did try to confirm the story with Sammy, but she did decline his calls, thinking that he had all that he um, Sammy even confronted her mom about this, suggesting that they go to the police. But Shelly was like, Kathy committed suicide, even though they all witnessed all of it. Um, she proceeded to tell Sammy that she was a big disappointment. And then finally, Deputy Jim Bergstrom, who I mentioned earlier, he did get in contact with Lara Watson um, to get her account of everything. And also when Shelly and Dave Notek inherited the home that was once Max's, or yeah, Max, sorry, uh, people were growing um, pretty concerned. Uh, they were questioning things. They were just like, why are they here? <laughs> you know, it was yeah. a little bit weird. But yeah, people were growing suspicious and, you know, like, why were they there? What part? Did- um, Tori was in the middle of a breakdown. I mentioned this earlier. When she agreed that she was going to hang in long enough after she had re- reunited with both of them. Basically, um, Tori wasn't allowed to talk to Nikki at this point because Shelly just didn't allow it. So she did reunite with Sammy and Sammy basically snuck her to go see they all like had a nice like dinner and they they spent time talking about all the good memories like that um you know tori was afraid to see nikki nikki was afraid to see tori because they were afraid that they would feel like a betrayal was out they didn't so it was kind of like a really good reunion um so after that you know tori 
was like, I don't want to go back home. I hate that bit. And that's all. And um, so Tori, you know, said that she was going to hang in for as long as she possibly um, while they worked. Um, then um, they were working the case. The sisters were finally um, with, you know, the sisters were. And finally, that same deputy shows up and says that he's going to pick up Tori, who was like 14 at the, on the grounds of suspected child. Um, Tori had left a note knowing that this was happening. Asking them not to mess up her things too much. She wanted to come back and get them. And also told them that she had had some of Ron's items. She knew that Ron... Um, she had Ron's items in the chicken coop. And um, then she whispered that they need to get us to come back. And basically gave them rounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the, she whispered the, this to them, by the way, like on her way out. Like Shelly was nowhere in sight. Like Shelly knew that they were there. But she was distracted enough to where Tori was doing. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... She only gave them a little bit of the story, but that was enough. Then uh, Shelly started making phone calls because she was freaking out at this point. She was getting angry, accusing the girls, you know, of like telling it that, you know, they were, they were all denying it because they were scared. And then Shelly would threaten that she was going to get back to this and get to the bottom. Laura, however, insisted that they no longer answer the phone and get a restraining order. And Shelly was pretty much right where they, so we're getting to the good shit. They finally saw the missing person ad that was placed for Kathy Loreno. This was run by Kathy's own mother, you know, the supposedly awful person. Dave had gone to look for Tori, went to the sheriff's office, sheriff's office and to talk to them. They questioned him and at first he didn't budge. He held his ground about Shelly and how they didn't do anything wrong. But then he cracked. He ended up telling them where Ron's body was and what had happened to Kathy's body. Then the sheriff found Shelly Ma- Shelley at Mac's house and picked her up. So it wasn't like a big glorious thing, see, but eventually da- Dave confessed to killing Shane Watts. He never fully confessed, but he would tell them where Shane's body was. Also said that he accidentally shot Shane when they were fighting over a rifle that he had explicitly told Shane not to play with. <clears throat> At this point, though, where did I lost too many notes? Um, in the book, we find out that Shane had found several pictures of Kathy Loreno, and he had shown them like a couple of years back. He had shown them to uh, Nikki. Um, he had snuck them from Shelley, who had taken them taken Polaroid. Um, she was black and blue, beaten and naked. Kathy was in these pictures. Oh. Yeah, fucking sick. Like Shelley took pictures. Yeah, that's so. Mm. Shane had known for a good hot minute that they that. They killed Kathy. Yeah. He kept the photos as proof. Um, Nick, Nikki had mistakenly told Shelly that Shane had the pictures, and it's suspected that since Shelly always thought that he w- that he would tell, that that was the motive for the murder, was the pictures. And it's not to blame Nikki in any way. She says that she wasn't sure why she said something. Um, I guess she said that you know she didn't want him to get in trouble, so she went ahead and just said something. And it, it worked the opposite. So again, I stress, you know, Nikki was a kid and she didn't know what to do in the moment. We just cannot blame her. We can't. <laughs> um, yeah. Now they did tear through the house to try to find the photos. Shelly and Dave did. Um, they never found the photos. After that, Dave confronted Shane. So this is the real story. Okay? Uh, Shelly kept asking him what he was going to do. Also kept asking Dave what he was going to do with Shane. Continuously blaming Shane for Kathy's death, even though he had nothing to do with it. Kept telling Dave to grow a pair and do something about Shane. And well, you can imagine what Dave did with Shane. We find out later that Dave shot Shane in the back of the head with a tube. Oh. He said he didn't want to do it and was incredibly sad about that. And part of me feels really bad for Dave because he was also in enduring all this torture and you know and shane was what 19 uh yeah at that point. um one thing i rarely mention about the throughout this whole thing is that she was constantly belittling uh dave 
as you know she did with everybody else but she needed him around because again she needed his page yeah so again part of me i feel sorry for dave but like the other two husbands that you know she had he did know better and he should have just scooped the kids up and left you know he should have done the right thing. yeah exactly he had a lot more power than he was willing to admit <laughs> Uh, Nikki and Sammy stayed in contact after their parents were arrested. Tori was not granted any permissions at the time to contact them um, because, you know, she had been picked up by CPS. So there's the answer to your question. Okay. Um, the murders were dubbed in like newspapers and things like that. The Raymond torture. Um, so again, by all accounts, this is not some big glorious trial. It was very, very quiet. Um, six months after Dave's arrest in 2004, he played, he Pled down his first degree murder charge for killing Shane. Pled it down to second degree murder and also pled guilty to unlawful disposal of a body and rendering criminalist. Um, the total sentence I, is, it was come to like a little under 50. That's it. Oh, wait. He did not want to assist in the prosecution of Shelly. After all, he still loved her and was also very afraid of her. When Shelly when Shelley was next, and unfortunately they didn't have way too much to go on in Shelly's case because the autopsy could improve, you know, couldn't prove the actual case, uh, cause of death for Ron. Um, they couldn't find Kathy's body, and frankly, the sheriff's office just didn't take Nikki's allegations very seriously. Um, you know, and if they had, maybe both Ron and Mac would still be. Um, they couldn't get her on Mac to this day. Nobody can get anybody on Mac because, again, as I mentioned earlier, they just couldn't get full proof from the autopsy. Again, they saw the blunt force trauma, but said it would have been from a, it could have been from a, a fall, and that's all they, that they had. So, um, they, they'd given, um, Shelly a, a sentence, right? And I don't remember exactly what the sentence initially was, but she entered into an Alfred plea. Do you know what an Alfred plea is? A little bit familiar. Okay. Well, for those that don't know, I'm not liking Al it very much right now. An Alfred plea is where you plead guilty to a charge, but assert your innocence. Mm -hmm. um, if you're familiar with like the West Memphis Three, um, they were wrongfully accused of murders because they quote looked satanic. Um, so, and there was that's a whole a whole nother podcast. But I would encourage people to go like look into that one. But I digress. Um, but basically, they they went into an Alfred plea because even though they were seen as guilty, they asserted their innocence and they actually were innocent. So they once they did that plea, they were let out of prison. Um, so she pled into the, an Alfred plea. Um, and the reason why she did that, she asserted her innocence, but it also helps the jury save time and money by avoiding a trial. There was a tentative sentence worked out for seven for Shelly. So that took my own question. Um, she testified in court saying, and I'm quoting this word for word from the book, in this jail and in this courtroom and in this community and everywhere else I'm known as some kind of horrible monster. I'm not. I've made such horrible mistakes though. Kathy was my friend. She had value and she had purpose. She would have been there for me. I wasn't there for her a lot. I was not there when Kathy died. I was not there for her. I believe I'm not guilty of murder, of deliberately causing her death, but a mother is the most responsible for her home environment. She was mistreated in my home and now she's gone. I'll never get over it and I don't deserve to. Really? Then... She blamed all of the teenagers, including Shane, for, for Kathy's. Oh, my yeah, she pinned it on them. Um, she had, she of course had nothing, right? What a um, horrible human being. Well, anyway, for once in a very, very, very long time, Shelly couldn't manipulate anyone, including the judge. So her pleas, her Alfred plea fell on deaf ears. He wasn't having, he actually added more, more years. sentence. <laughs> she went from <laughs> 17 to like, I mean, it was only five years more, but. 17 to 20. Two counts of first degree murder of Kathy and manslaughter for Ron. 
Um, and I mean, I'll take 22 years over no years, but honestly, she needs fucking life, dude. Um, and she's not well. No, she's not. And you know what? To, um, to this day, all three of her daughters, they will say the same thing. She does not need to be getting out of it. Okay. So Dave was released in 2016. He's in touch with Tori and Sammy, but Nikki refuses to have anything to do with him. He works at a seafood processing plant and has been noted as frail and kind of ill. Shelly, who will be 68, will be released from prison in 2002. Prosecution. Oh my gosh, next year. Do what? Next year. Next fucking year. Um, she said that she was, the prosecu- prosecution had said that she was extremely indifferent to human life. To this day, she denies being guilty at all and says that the Alfred plea was a mistake and that she misunderstood it. Again, you know, she's not taking any accountability. Um, she even tried to have that conviction overturned. Um, so basically, she hasn't changed at all and, you know, won't take accountability for her actions. Nothing is her fault, right? None of none of she- none of Shelley's children have gone to visit her, but she did have one visitor, and it's unknown who it is. But um, Shelley, um, the 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 person that had visited Shelley had said that Shelley has white hair now. It's no no longer like this thick auburn, and um, unsurprisingly, Shelley is still battling cancer. <laughs> what kind is it right now? Um, it, she didn't say. It's probably something completely different, probably. But yeah, she's been battling cancer for 29, 39, 49. I'm always doing math. 39, 49, 59. That's 40, 45 years now. Wow. Damn, she's a, she's a survivor. Um, According to the book, the trial wasn't a big sensational thing, which kind of sucks because it plays down what an absolute fucking shitbag Shelly is. Mm-hmm. Now, Nikki, Sammy, and Tori are all doing very well now. They are all super close. They text each other and talk all the time. Yes. Nikki lives near Seattle. She has her own family with three kids. She works for her husband's landscaping. Tori is the youngest and works in social media. So Tori's like 32 now. Uh, Sammy is now a teacher and has three kids of her own as well. There's really not very much known about the victim's family. Again, this was not some big sensationalized trial. Um, but I will say that all three of the girls are maintaining that if Shelly is released from prison, they'll murder again. So um, part of the reason why I wanted to tell the stories is because she's due for her release next year and on the very off chance that somebody important gets a hold of this episode they need to understand the extreme dire consequences of what Shelly's release would be um again families of the victims have been pretty quiet so you know you can't find much more on what's happening i was actually looking everywhere to see if there was any kind of foundation set up in kathy or ron's that um i was not able to find anything maybe it was kind of like an overlook um incident on my part if any anybody's listening and knows of any foundation that's like in their name please let me know so i can you know add it to our show notes but um but yeah that's basically that's it that is the case of shelly shitbag fucking no tech so that was a doozy yeah it was so um crap yeah um so you know like i said in the in the very beginning you know you don't really know what's going on behind closed doors um you don't know what people are going through you um your neighbor you know your best friend even your worst enemy could have their own tech in their life again we have to be a little bit more empathetic try to just be there for you again um i'm really happy to hear that all three of the girls are doing well today i'm really sad that they had to endure such fucking um and I'm really, really very sad and angry that three and even four got murdered because Shelly's a psychopath. So, mm. all right. So that's, that was that. Um, do you have anything to add? 
before we close out of here? I don't think so. Um, you know, is family fandom chats like wanting to beef now or something? Oh, fandom family chats. I actually mentioned us on our on our podcast we did yesterday during my big tornado outside. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, I need to go listen so, to that. So I guess well, we're we got a shout out too. Oh yeah. What up, family fandom chats? Uh... What were we doing yesterday? Oh, we were talking about Ginny and Georgia. So it'll be our Ginny and Georgia episode. Cool. Have you I seen mean, Ginny and Georgia yet? No, I haven't. There's only oh. one season so far. So, oh, um, real quick before we close out, um, we were supposed to talk about American horror stories on one of the episodes, and then we totally didn't. Um, oh, I know. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm still watching though. I'm disappointed. I've, I've seen seasons one through five, and yeah. I've seen season nine. <laughs> I know I jumped, but I liked the. Uh, like the eighties kind of version of that one was good, yeah. He's yeah. a nine, so like I was like, Oh, I wanna watch that one. And you don't have you don't have to watch them in order, so I'm talking about the stories though, where all the stories are different. Oh, you're talking about the new, like the new Netflix? Uh or whatever. Yeah. I just didn't yeah, American not... horror stories. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. No, um the new the new um American horror story, like the the full length one with yeah. Macaulay Culkin and everything. Should I think it's supposed to start today? I hope it starts today because if it does, then as soon as we're done, I'm gonna go watch. But Tell anyways, oh, I will. Well, all right, guys. Well, that was Shelly No Tech. Um, make sure that you look for us on all the things. We have an Instagram, we have a Facebook, we have a MySpace. We really don't have a MySpace. I'm totally kidding. I was gonna um, say what. <laughs> Dude, you know we should create a MySpace just because that would be kind of hilarious. <laughs> Follow us on MySpace. Um, oh, you know, if you have any show ideas, like story, like you know, paranormal stories, or if you have any ideas for true crime, you know, you'll hear all the things at the very end, um, as always. Um, and with that, um, just a friendly reminder: don't be a dick and wear deodorant. And if you don't wear deodorant, make sure that you put that armpit in Shelly No Tech's face. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Nefarious Nightmare. Music used in this podcast was created by Ghost Stories Incorporated. You can find their music on bandcamp.com. We do have social media. You can follow us at our Facebook page at A Nefarious Nightmare, or you can follow our Instagram, Nefarious Nightmare Pod. If you have any stories of paranormal instances that have happened to you or ideas for true crime, please email us at a nefarious nightmare at gmail.com. Thank you very much and take care.